This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the August 8, 2022, For Your Benefit radio show. We're here today to talk about five actionable strategies for navigating financial market uncertainty. And who best to lead us in that discussion is Justin Dean. Justin is a certified financial planner, well-spoken member of the uh, NITP seminar, and a financial planner. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good to see you. And by the way, folks, I can see Justin. Justin can see me and Andrew, the ever-efficient engineer. So we're all uh, we're all. Kind of like the RCA dog listening to your fine tutelage on <laughs> on market strategies. First of all, um, because you are a financial planner and you deal with people, you 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 probably are not challenged because you're so good at this at this stage of the game. But maybe sometimes you're surprised that people don't really gravitate towards a full understanding of financial planning. Absolutely, Bob. It, it can be a very intimidating topic, especially in an uncertain market like the one that we're experiencing. And and um, have you found that uh, we've been in this market for a while, probably the um, uh, conversations were many at, at the early stages of it, but have you seen it trailed off, trailing off or are people still skittish? You know, Bob, it, it's interesting. In a in an uncertain market, there's only one thing I found in the 15 years that I have now been in this industry that there's one thing that's certain, and that's market volatility. So I think the lesson here, and we'll talk a bit more about this as part of our discussion, but the lesson here is really to focus on what you can control. And the fact is, two of the most important variables are under your control and that's how you respond to market volatility and how you invest your money but i would say a good percentage of the population isn't maybe so good at investing the money they kind of sort of understand it but they don't understand how this would fluctuate with um, you know outside market conditions etc so uh, is there a, a commonality to how to talk people off um, off the ledge, or some people say oh, I just want to be very cautious and you know maybe I can make a better uh, rate of return, but I don't want to accept the risk. And probably the answer to that I would guess is going to vary with the stage in their career, early on, mid career, or late. Yeah, absolutely. I think Bob, really, the value that any professional might bring uh, in helping investors make better decisions is removing the emotion out of the process. Because when we're dealing with something uh, that is uncertain, and none of us, regardless of experience or expertise, can really predict the direction of the stock market or interest rates, I'd like to think that <laughs> I might have a crystal ball, but it, it is uh, unfortunately broken. So I think the role that I play and so many others in the financial services industry is really helping investors to remove that emotion and make more objective decisions that are really based on things, like I said, that they can control. All right, and, and uh, you, you know the um, federal retiree employee because we've been teaching these seminars for so long that we, you know, we, share, we share the podium. You, you do the, the bennies and bucks, and I do the taxes. But what have you found? Have you found, I won't say any one group, you can't say engineers are one way, computer people are another one, whatever. But is there a commonality to things that people maybe don't understand that they need to understand relative to the opportunities within the TSP? Wow. There, yes, Bob, <laughs> there are so many 
common questions that I get about the, the thrift. And, you know, it's not necessarily the more complex questions, and, and we'll get to a few of our listener questions, I understand, that, that were submitted before today's show. But, Bob, I'm, I'm actually finding that it's even some of the more uh, simple concepts. For example, um, what investments uh, do I actually choose as part of the TSP? What does rebalancing look like, and why do I need to think about it, right? So I, the other questions that I get often are around uh, do I contribute pre-tax dollars or after-tax dollars? So, again, it, it's, I'm often surprised at, at some of these questions, but uh, oftentimes it, it's some of the more uh, basic things that, although might be somewhat simple to, to uh, some participants, um, are quite unfamiliar for, for most, and that's okay. Okay, well, here's, here's one of the questions, um, probably is a good lead-off question. Um, it's the fifth one of the five. It says, doesn't record-breaking credit card debt a bad sign for the economy and the stock market? Yeah, well, it's a great question, Bob. So, so credit card debt, uh, obviously, it can be a problem for, for any consumer, especially if we're looking at a, a credit card with a an annual percentage rate of 15 to 20 percent so unless you've got a clear strategy and plan in place to pay that debt down and eliminate it it can get quite easy to to get caught up in unmanageable debt that really takes over the the consumer so um a really interesting question. Although credit card debt uh, and, and debt overall is something that we do track as an what we call an economic indicator, research tells us, Bob, that households are sitting on more than $2 trillion in accumulated savings. Okay? So even though, uh, obviously, we, we want to look at credit card debt or other service to debt, the fact that so many consumers are, are still sitting on cash as a result of stimulus monies received during the pandemic, this should support continued consumer spending, which does support the case for a more mild downturn. And I, I want to call to our listeners' attention that consumer spending accounts for 70% of the economy. So uh, I heard a, an interesting statistic from Bloomberg just last week that the measure of household debt payments as a percent of disposable income is actually still near its lowest in, in 40 years. So uh, as long as people are getting out and spending, Bob, uh, even if we enter a recession, which we can we can certainly talk more about. As long as people are spending, um, we're hopeful that it is it is a shorter and certainly milder downturn. So when when you um, meet with a client, I'm sure they come in different flavors. In other words, flavor somebody understands money management and and utilizes it. Others understand money management, but don't utilize it. Um, they're spenders. And then there's the people in between. So um, probably the toughest group that, that you would uh, initially meet would be the spenders. And, and you would be able, with all your computer programs, and I'd say, you know, if, you're, if you stay on this uh, plane, this is what you're going to look like 10 years, 15, 20 years. And it's it's hard to catch up, especially if who you're talking to is 10 years away from retirement. And um, how, did, how do they accept that? I mean, they probably accept it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sitting in the chair across from you. Bob, it's an excellent question. So I am often very surprised that most people have no idea how much they spend 
on average on a monthly basis. And that's so important, right? Because if, if we don't understand how we're spending our dollars, it can be rather difficult to make projections about how much we may want or need to spend in the future, right? So uh, when you talk about uh, some of the, the common challenges of, of the investor and, and certainly our, our federal government employees, getting a handle on that average monthly spending, I find, is a really good start. And although it might seem rather simple, you know, this is about making more intentional decisions with our dollars, and it's pretty easy. I mean, we've got essentially three options, right? We can spend our money. Some of us are rather good at that than others. We can save it, um, whether for emergency purposes and and certainly long-term goals like retirement, or we can give it away, right? So, uh, best practices I found to for for the uh, investor to at least once a year sit down and maybe this is done on an individual basis, maybe it's done with a spouse, significant other, or partner, and really taking a close look at what that average monthly spending is. And um, not only is that good information, but it can help us better understand how much we might want to maintain in our emergency reserves. But also, I'd like to think that most of our listeners have already established a precedent for some of those day-to-day decisions that they make with their dollars. So if I understand, Bob, what I'm spending today, it does become a bit easier to project what spending might look like in retirement. And are are they um, when you project the numbers? Are they surprised that in retirement the amount of cash flow that they had isn't what they thought they were going to have because they didn't take into account certain expenses? I'm not talking about criminal illness or or you know these these high blips, but they don't under, fully understand. You know, I have X dollars in the TSP and or other, and that's a lot of money. Well, it might be a lot of money, but is it enough money to take us to the promised land? Absolutely. And, and spending obviously does change over, over time, Bob. Uh, there are inevitably certain expenses that tend to increase for the retiree, right? So we think about things like health care, medical, and, and dental expenses, even if I pay off, let's say I'm lucky enough enough to pay off my mortgage before retirement, I still have to turn on the lights and cool and heat my home. And of course, those utility bills will likely rise over time in consideration of inflation. You know, I also find, Bob, a lot of our early retirees are spending a bit more even that first decade, right? They're pursuing travel and other hobbies and activities that, that require uh, some, some money. Um, but then we also thankfully have expenses that tend to decrease, right? So commuting costs, uh, parking. Uh, many of our listeners in this uh, pandemic environment have already enjoyed some of those uh, decreased costs. Um, clothes like business attire. Um, I'd like to think that maybe I won't have to dress up as much when I'm (laughs) retired. And then for those who have taken the time and effort for careful planning, service to debt, which we've already talked about, should be an expense that decreases or, or is hopefully eliminated. All right. I think this is a good, uh, spot for a break. The sponsor of the show, WAPA, um, um, have some interesting ideas for the uh, listeners to listen to. It's short. You've heard about the wage gap, but do you know about the coverage gap? Studies show that only 47% of women have life insurance compared to 58% of men. Plus, women carry less coverage on average. Female civilian federal employees, do you need life insurance? Visit waepa.org today. WEPA's online tools can show you how much coverage to consider. WEPA, offering group term life insurance for feds, by feds. Visit waepa.org today for more. WEPA, for feds, by feds.
Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here with Justin Dean, certified financial planner, fellow seminar presenter, talking about the five actionable strategies for navigating financial market uncertainty. Okay, let's pick up where we left off. So we were talking a little bit about spending, Bob, uh, as we as we consider service to debt, but also how spending might help us to better project our expenses in retirement. Now, Bob, one thing that I have discovered that tends to be the more challenging part of this for the average investor, it's one word, and we've heard quite a bit about this over the last uh, year. You might guess what it is, inflation, right? And um, one of our listeners actually submitted a couple of questions about that. How about we answer that now? Okay, now, uh, you want to do the soft landing um, question first? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Here it is. I keep hearing that the Federal Reserve will pull off a soft landing. What does that term mean? Can you name one time that the Federal Reserve pulled off a soft landing? Yeah, I mean, this is such a good question, and there's a lot baked in here, Bob. So I, I should... Uh, share with our listeners that although I am a CFP, I am by no means an economist, okay? <laughs> but uh, we financial advisors certainly do appreciate uh, the commentary provided by both economists and market strategists. So maybe we take just a quick step back before we uh, uh, address this question and talk about the role of the Federal Reserves, right? So this central bank is essentially responsible uh, for what we call monetary policy, right? So one of the mechanisms by which they help us to control inflation is regulating interest rates, right? So, and, you know, when we talk about inflation, Inflation is simply the rising cost of goods and services. Now, I might ask our readers or listeners rather to think about inflation as their personal inflation rate because we all spend our monies on, on, on different things, right? So inflation is obviously very, very high right now. We're seeing inflationary numbers. Uh, that we have not actually experienced in some 40 years. But inflation expectation um, data indicates that it's really not anticipated to remain so high for an extended period of time. Now, if, you, if we listen to economists, they, they will often say that inflation is not yet entrenched, which means that they do have the ability to bring it down by bending the economy, not breaking it, as was the case in the early 80s. So we've experienced year-to-date, Bob, four interest rate hikes, okay? And the idea is that this increased borrowing cost, so hopefully the average consumer may not necessarily go out and purchase as much as they did before. And this has been a little bit of a problem because, Bob, in case you didn't know it, we've been in a two-year-plus pandemic, right? So we hear about things like pent-up demand, right? So people have cash and Frankly, they want to spend it. So let's let's now address the the uh, listener's question. When inflation expectations failed to come down uh, meaningfully following that 1980 downturn, the Fed was actually forced to send the economy pretty forcibly back into a very deep. And, and long recession to break the back of inflation more structurally. Now, thankfully, most economists don't think such an adjustment is required at this stage, which ultimately means we, we likely won't have a, have a repeat of that experience back in the early 80s. 
even though the current inflation environment is sparking comparisons to that period. So the idea is, can the Feds raise interest rates without tipping the economy into a recession? And that's ultimately, Bob, what we call a soft landing. Okay, there was a, there was a question here, and it says, um, can you explain why some experts believe that we are in a recession? despite a 50-year low in unemployment? Yeah, so. well, let's, yeah, that, good question. So let's first of all listen to where, what Chairman Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve actually said. So the Feds met last week, and at that meeting, Powell actually highlighted that while the econ U.S. economy is slowing, he doesn't believe that we're currently in a recession. Um, and the reasons he cited were there are simply too many areas of the economy that are performing really well. There's a very strong labor or job market, um, like the, the uh, listener suggested. And he says that, you know, it just simply doesn't make sense that the economy would be in a recession with this kind of thing happening. Now, on Friday of last week, uh, the latest July jobs report was released, and Bob, it actually showed that employment conditions remain broadly favorable. The unemployment rate remains near the 50-year low, and what's interestingly about this is, historically, the unemployment rate has, has risen by about a half a percent before recessions begin. Hiring trends right now just are not consistent with a recession, as monthly payroll growth has traditionally been much lower ahead of economic downturn. So what, what does all this really mean uh, for the investor and for our listeners? Well, either inflation will decline because a recession emerges, in other words, demand is, is significantly re reduced, or inflation will decline because of improvement in supply, along with declining commodity prices, which have also fallen pretty sharply recently. So the official re record keeper of recessions here in the U.S. is an independent committee known as NBER. We've got all these acronyms, right? That's the National Bureau of economic research. And Bob, they define a recession more broadly. So um, some uh, financial advisors or economists will say that a, that a recession is simply two back-to-back -back quarters of negative GDP. Well, the NBER defines a recession as a significant decline an economic activity that is actually spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months. So they're not just looking at GDP, but they're looking at factors like non-farm payrolls, consumption and industrial production. So while these measures are beginning to soften because of the Fed's work, the NBER is probably going to need to see further weaknesses especially on the labor side, before officially declaring a U.S. recession. So when you so eloquently describe what you just described to a um, client, let's say it's a new client. If they've been with you for a while, your tutelage probably has them <clears throat> using a vocabulary they didn't use before. So um, how have you found it difficult to, to have them better understand after a few meetings or a year or two working with you that, gee, I have to change my ways a little bit. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to never go out anymore. I'm not going to buy any new clothes or anything for the rest of my life because uh, I have to feed my um, pension kitty. Um, what's, what's the learning curve? <laughs> yeah, so the good news is, Bob, although we can talk about the, the economy and the market, we'll go back to the first statement at the beginning and top of the, the hour, and that is, although it's good to have a general understanding of what's going on 
in the market and the economy, um, I would advise our listeners to really focus on action items and really things that they can control. Because a lot of this noise, whether it be at the jobs report, the Fed's raising interest rates, yes, some of those things may be impactful to some of the day-to-day decisions that we may make. But if most of our listeners just simply follow uh, a, a good financial plan and they're making intentional decisions that are appropriate for them, we can really turn down some of the rhetoric and some of the news that might often seem a bit overwhelming. Okay. And, um, and, and do you get, uh, when, when, the, when the noise is loud, let's say, <clears throat> and some of your clients are listening to this, do you get many calls um, in, in a situation like that where, you know, your, your, your phone probably doesn't ring off the hook every day of the week? Yeah. I mean, we certainly do hear more uh, from clients and investors as a whole uh, when um, the local financial news sources are talking about um, a, a significant downturn or looming recession. I mean, these these terms, Bob, can, can really scare and, in, and intimidate the best of us. But I'll also advise those same investors to maybe take a break, especially in markets with lots of ups and downs. Bob, it can be so tempting to check your portfolio, uh, to hop on your uh, online account access, looking at your TSP balance. You know, some of our listeners may be tempted to do that daily or even hourly. However, if, if, if they're not needing those funds anytime soon, I have found that this can often cause unnecessary stress and make it more likely that they might want to buy or even sell something at an an opportune time. So, you know, the investor may benefit from actually taking a break, and I even will encourage them to maybe turn off the news for a while. And those headlines are, are really meant, if you think about it, to elicit strong emotions. Sometimes I'll even say they're more about advertising than they are about education. And um, they're certainly not intended to help you stay disciplined about your investment strategy. All right. So um, in your experience, you've met all of the above. Um, have you found that more often than not, people will say, I got it, or they'll go, okay, I'll follow your lead which I guess you got to be a little bit careful with. You can't make decisions for them, but you can give them, okay, here's a deck of cards. Um, this has got risk, not risky. This has got risk. This is uh, steady as it goes, or this is ultra cautious. And do they, do they switch over from whatever they were to one of those three? You know, we, we talked a bit about this before the show this morning. It is important to understand as an investor, Bob, what your preference is, right? So some people take a more hands-on approach, and uh, they really enjoy some of the day-to-day decisions around their finance and, and investing. Maybe they are happy to, to, to pursue the research necessary to gain a certain level of expertise, although there are many others that equally do not want to be involved, right? So they would rather partner with a professional or an accountability partner uh, who can provide that guidance, which is really more of a partnership. So, you know, I, I certainly don't expect when an investor comes into my office that they are going to say, okay, Justin, tell me what to do um, or, or make these decisions for me. But I think it's been my experience, uh, both in my practice and um, uh, partnering with other advisors in our industry, that the most successful client and advisor relationships are truly a partnership, right? So again, this, this speaks to your earlier question about the role of the advisor. Oftentimes people have trouble 
identifying and even articulating what's important to them, right? And that might seem like a simple part of the puzzle, but we really got to understand what's important and what those objectives are. And then the idea is, um, as you partner with, for example, a certified financial planner, he or she is going to use an established process to build a personalized strategy to help you reach those goals with the uh, with the idea and expectation that they may partner together throughout their lives and ultimately help keep them on track. So uh, a good comment, and I can look at it two ways. You know, somebody comes in and they're just, they're, they're not um, conversing on finances and you advise X, Y, and Z and they go, okay. And then maybe they become less uptight as they see and it's not going to happen overnight, um, over a period of time. And then others might be late mid-career, early pre-retirement, maybe want to take their foot off the gas. Um, and, and, well, I, you, know, I, I, you know, it's been a nice ride and I want to protect myself. Uh, then, then potentially some guaranteed downfall. There's no guaranteed downfall, but you know it's not always going to go up and occasionally it goes down. So... How do you how do you um, drive them down the center lane of the highway? Yeah, so Bob, I think what we're really getting at here is is the importance of getting a second opinion, right? And and identifying for for many of our listeners what might be an account an accountability partner. Now, I might be biased as a financial advisor, but. I believe that a financial advisor and professional can really be a great accountability partner to help make sure the investor is on, on track. So you know, they can, regardless of where you are in your investment career, they can help you revisit why you're invested in the first place and determine if anything has changed, like your financial goals or maybe your risk tolerance that, that might warrant a change in the portfolio. Now, they can also help you work through any underlying concerns and what, if anything, to do about them. So this might include, especially for some of our listeners who are approaching retirement, maybe running some scenarios to highlight the effects of any changes that they might want to make. And like what we talked about earlier, Money can be emotional, especially when it's your own. So having that accountability partner who is objective, knowledgeable about finances, and understands you and what you're trying to accomplish can be really valuable. Okay, we got a we got a question. I think that borders on what you just said, but Andrew tells us it's time to take a break. So let's take a break, and we'll listen to what NITP can do for the listeners. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty. Welcome back to the final leg of today's show. We're here with Justin Dean, financial planner, certified financial planner, making sense of things that sometimes people don't make any sense of. So we've got a, a question that follows right on the heels of what we did before the break. There is a term in Wall Street that stipulates that one should not, quote, fight the Fed. Fed meaning the, you know, the Federal Reserve System, all right? The Federal Reserve is being aggressive with interest rate hikes. What is wrong with being defensive 
in one's stock portfolio, this then shines the light on the listeners and us, on one's stock market portfolio, especially when one is already successful. And, and the question here is a millionaire. Not everybody's a millionaire, but and we all have different definitions of what we are. I was about to say, Bob, congratulations on this uh, for uh, on this listener success. It is interesting. I don't know the la- the latest uh, statistic, but there are a- an increasingly uh, higher number of uh, TSP millionaires as people continue to leverage uh, that employer sponsored retirement plan, which obviously is one of the most important things our listeners could do to to save. So, all right, a few things that we should do to break down this question. Uh, We talked a little bit about uh, the the Fed's role in in raising interest rates, which they have already begun to rapidly do. In addition to shrinking their balance sheets globally in an effort to tame what we know now as persistently high inflation. And Again, inflation is is a problem right now for a variety of reasons. We've got slow-to-return manufacturing capacity in China, tight oil supply with increased demand, and supply chain kinks that really have led to slowdowns and and shortages of, of goods. So all of this, Bob, is really triggering these price increases. And at the same time, several economic indicators are pointing to a, a slowdown. So while, while these economic risks are increasing, the good news in all this is solid household finances and, and job growth can help to offset this. So for the, for the Federal Reserve to achieve a soft landing, really we're looking for signs that inflation is slowing faster than economic activity. So what is what does all this really mean for the an investor? Well, the 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 listener wrote in, you know, what is wrong with being defensive in one stock market portfolio? So obviously defensive could mean a, a number of, of, of things, but ultimately you want to make sure that when it comes to your investment portfolio, it's best to get your portfolio properly positioned, Bob, before rough times. So I don't want our, our uh, listeners to get the wrong impression that just because we get a bad jobs report or the Fed decides they're going to raise interest rates by half a percent versus uh, three-quarters of a percent, that they need to do something different. Almost everyone has heard the adage of no risk, no reward. But in my opinion, taking the right amount of risk is key to weathering any market storm. And and this is a a balancing act. So that's why a, a professional, like a financial advisor, can often help the investor balance your risk tolerance. In other words, the risk that you're comfortable taking with your risk capacity, which is how much risk you can afford to take. And then just to make things even more confusing, there is also your your required risk. And this is the amount of risk that you need to achieve in order to accomplish your goals. Yeah. Is that helpful? It's helpful too. And, and I'll just emphasize this. I'm, I'm a listener here. And I hear risk, and all of a sudden I get nervous. Risk doesn't mean risky. A certificate of deposit doesn't have too much risk, depending on where the money is. Um, risky, we probably don't spend a lot of time on talking about, you know, doubling our money in two weeks. Well, and Bob, you make a really good point because I do think we financial advisors in our industry really owe the investor population and apology, because we do a fabulous job of of explaining the benefits of investing. I don't know one financial advisor out there that doesn't like to talk about return. However, I think we do sometimes a lousy job 
in, ex- in articulating the risk of investing. And yes, you are correct. Obviously, uh, the risk of a certificate of deposit or the G fund, which we all know is an interest-bearing cash fund provided by the TSP, we don't typically think of those as carrying the same risk of stocks or equity investments that might decline more significantly. But Bob, please um, be, be aware, and I should acknowledge that every investment has some level of risk. So right now, of course, the spotlight is full center on volatility and the fact that the U.S. stock market has declined some 20% from our January highs. At the same time, I need our listeners to acknowledge that even cash or CDs that are earning little uh, interest do present some risk as well. And that is the risk that at low interest rates, those dollars may not grow uh, to outpace inflation, which we've talked about, and overall to achieve some of those long-term goals like retirement. Really good point. Yeah, I I really like the long-term view because uh, I would would imagine a lot of people, now I'm an accountant, so I deal on the tax side, but it, it sometimes parallels. In, in a very minor degree, financial planning. And um, I'm always surprised that people look at the current situation and don't look at the long term or the history. You know, the market's on fire. Yeah, I want to do this, but, you know, what about what if it doesn't remain on fire? And if it's low, well, no, I want CDs. And I don't go near what you do, but I do kind of put my toe on the water. So, Bob. Why don't we, in, in, in closing, talk a bit about some action steps that our listeners can take? Perfect. Perfect. So I've got five ideas that I'd love to share. Um, number one, prepare today for the road ahead. Okay, now I think a key part of preparing is to ensure that you've got an adequate amount of cash to meet any near-term spending needs, as well as an emergency fund for unexpected dips in income or or expenses. And I I think investors will have a lot more comfort knowing that invested assets like the TSP, those long-term savings, have time to recover when their near-term needs are already covered. Okay, so preparing uh, for that road ahead, I think, is, is very important, um, especially when there's uncertainty. Does that make sense? Uh, a a uh, clear sense. Very good. Now, we've already talked about risk, but uh, my second tip, Bob, is simply to right-size your risk. So, Make sure that you understand that your risk tolerance, folks, is really unique to you just as you are as an individual. So uh, you'll want to have a better understanding of your comfort level and some of those regular swings that we inevitably will experience as part of our TSP and and other investments. I think the problem is uh, for some of our listeners, they may have made decisions about their investment mix or what we more formally describe as their allocation years ago, um, perhaps when they first began uh, participating as part of the thrift. Maybe it's been a while since they've really checked in on not only the makeup of, of that plan, but also their thoughts and feelings about risk. So it's okay to occasionally check in and better understand what changes may need to be may, may need to be addressed. My third tip, you ready? I'm ready. Diversify. So no discussion on investing uh, would be complete without that word uh, diversified. So once our listeners have determined that risk level, they'll want to make sure they're properly diversified, which is, is similar to, 
I like to use the analogy, Bob, of having a variety of layers of clothes so you can be comfortable hmm. even as the weather changes around you. So because your mix of, of assets may shift as their performance varies, we really don't want to forget to revisit that allocation from time to time and make sure that it's still reflecting our desired risk level and mix of assets. We call this rebalancing, okay? Tip number four, how to handle an unpleasant market. Now, just as bad weather is inevitable, so are tough markets. So if history is any guide, all markets eventually experience a downturn. And on average, I like to use history as our guide, on average, the U.S. stock market experiences a 10% correction about once a year, okay? Now, because most downturns have been temporary, it's not always the market that hurts our portfolio, Bob, as so much as how we as investors respond to them. And many people, potentially because they've taken more risk than they actually should have, end up selling at an unfortunate time. So even if we're financially prepared, how do we keep our behavior and our emotions from, coming, from becoming our worst enemy? Mm. <laughs> Tip number four. All right, last but certainly not least, um, take a break, as we talked about earlier, and folks, give yourself some time. Some of our listeners might benefit from setting up rules ahead of time that create friction between a strong emotion and a financial decision. So, for example, you may want to promise yourself you won't execute on a large financial decision unless you've had some time to properly consider and reconsider it. So for, for instance, if you could, choose, you could choose, for example, at least one night to sleep on it or three days or, or maybe a weekend, but that way you're not rushing into a knee-jerk emotional decision that might have broader or greater consequences uh, than if you just took some time uh, to let things settle. So those are some five tips that I would offer our, our listeners to consider as they navigate our, our current market and, and economic conditions. Now, I, I would uh, imagine that you use those same five factors with clients. Absolutely. And the success rate, I'm sure, is outstanding. Again, I think this boils down to focusing on the things that we can control. And I'm, I'm reminded, especially in this space, there is so much that we cannot control, right? The direction of the stock market, uh, legislation that is presented by our, our leaders. Um, it can almost seem overwhelming, really. But I, I have found that the more successful investors whom I have known and, and really had the pleasure of serving uh, do focus on those things that they can control. Um, and that might be uh, scheduling a, a regular family business meeting where uh, they might sit down with a spouse, significant other, or partner, and really talk about what their goals are, what's changed, uh, identifying what they might want to accomplish over the short term, intermediate, long term, but uh, just having a plan in place. And it's not that a plan will prevent some of those unanticipated expenses or emergencies that pop up. I mean, Bob, we got life, right? If, if we've learned anything over the last couple of years, it's that life certainly will throw us some curveballs. But what I like about financial planning, it's unique to the individual, but it's also flexible, right? Very good. Andrew, um, what do we have, about two minutes left? Okay, good. I, I don't have a second um, clock, so let's assume it's two minutes. <laughs> so how about a two-minute drill? Justin? Yeah, so... 
So, Bob, if I could leave our, our listeners with just a couple of final thoughts. Um, <clears throat> if you don't like the weather, I mean, right now here in Washington, D.C., we are suffering from temps that are in the upper 90s, right, with pretty extreme humidity. And a, uh, someone, uh, an author, pretty well-known, Mark Twain, famously said, if you don't like the weather in New England, just wait a few minutes, right? So <laughs> while down markets can last longer than that, and they can certainly feel scary or frustrating at that time, they've also historically always been followed by a recovery. So if you just hold on, odds are better odds are that better days are just around the 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 corner and if you're prepared in advance i have found it's much easier to weather the storms very good andrew's got the one finger pointed up means you got one minute left (laughs) so 60 seconds of or 55 seconds of final thoughts yeah so as i mentioned earlier uh our current volatile market can be pretty scary and intimidating for many, many investors. But again, the lesson here, as always, is to focus on what you can control. And the fact is, two of the most important variables are are under your control, how you respond to market volatility and how you invest your money. So I would encourage our our listeners, uh, whether they're making decisions on their own or perhaps partnered with a professional, sometimes getting a second opinion can go a long way to ensure that they are comfortable and confident with with their plan. I've really appreciated our time together today, Bob. Okay, so how do I get in contact with you? I'm a listener. Sure. Yeah, so um, certainly email is, is a quick and easy way, justin.dean, that's D-E-A-N, at edwardjones.com. Our listeners can also pick up the phone and call 202-223-1179. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, listeners. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.